dwell in me, to touch my eyes that I might see. And all your goodness, grace, and brown stand beside me. Be my drink, be my living breath. Keep me sheltered, oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, dwell in me, Holy Spirit, comfort me, let my heart be one with thee. When I'm worried, soothe my mind. Let me sweet contentment find. May I run this. Filled by your Oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Dwell in me. Amen. Good evening. Let us go to God in prayer. Our merciful and heavenly Father, it's once again we've approached thy throne of grace. Thank you, dear Lord, for our lying down last evening, waking up this morning, blood still running warm in our veins. We thank you most of all, dear Lord, for Jesus, who bled and died on the cruel cross at Calvary. We thank you, dear Lord, for taking us throughout this day as we went to and fro. Most of all, dear Lord, we thank you for your grace, your kindness, and your mercy. We ask, dear Lord, a special blessing for our minister, Brother Jones, and a special uh, blessing for Brother Reeves as he's come and bringing these wonderful messages to us. Most of all, their wives and their families, keep them safe from all hurt, harm, and danger. As the Williamson's prepare to go back home, we ask the Lord that you give them guidance, give them strength, give them understanding that all the things that are happening are because of you, because you are in charge. We ask the Lord that tonight our hearts are opening to the prayers, to the wonderful things that we need, and a special prayer for she who is within an accident and you've allowed her to come out once again, dear Lord, and worship with us. We thank you, dear Lord, for this day. All these blessings we ask in thy name. Amen. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to work like that. If you love the Lord, say amen. And if you know that God is better than good, say amen again. Uh, do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Neighbor. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, if you look to your left or your right and you didn't see a neighbor, you ought to move where you can sit near a neighbor. Amen. 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 Uh, uh, if you've been enjoying this week, say amen. I, I cannot... I uh, tell you all how much it, how much it has been a blessing to me uh, to be able to, for this uh, short period of time just to sit at the feet of Minister George Williams. Without a doubt, he has been a blessing uh, not only 
to us, but in particular, he's been a blessing to me. Uh, it's good to just be uh, around uh, men of God who have moved in the path that you're striving to move in, who have uh, uh, already crossed many of the roads you're striving to cross. If you all get that, say amen. Uh, my, uh, my daughter is, is serving on the uh, media ministry team, and she told me before I came up here, she said for me to make sure I introduce myself, because I'm guessing they put my name at the bottom when I say my name. So I am Minister Kevin D. Jones singing, and it's a blessing to have y'all watching on the night. If y'all get that, say amen. 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 Uh, I, I don't even want to take any, any, any of his time. I know he's going to bless us on tonight. Uh, if you're ready for the word, say amen. Um, so we're going to have uh, another song uh, by Christian. He's doing an awesome job. Y'all, let's give him a love deposit on tonight. Uh, we'll have another song uh, by our dear brother and the next voice that you'll hear for the last time in this uh, short period of revival, Minister George Williams, Senior Minister of the Eastside Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We'll sing hallelujah by and by. Page 57, your favorite hymns. When we reach that city of the new Jerusalem, oh, we're going to sing Yes, sing hallelujah by. Oh, well, some singers together, let that in. And oh, we're going to sing. We're going to sing. Oh, by. And oh, oh, oh. oh, oh. Lord, when we get on home and glory, we're going to rest, rest in peace on that cloud in heaven, that land, oh, we're singing, never, and we're singing, we're going to sing, oh, we're going to sing, oh, by and by. In that mighty chorus, voices will so sweetly blend. Oh, we're going to sing, we're going to sing. Oh, by and by, be our sadness. Just will so burn. Oh, we're going to sing. We're going to sing hallelujah by and oh, 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 what joy, oh, when we, to glory going to rest in peace, oh, that cloud in heaven, in that land. Oh, a saints never die. Oh, we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing. Oh, by and oh, 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 what joy when we we get on home to glory. We're gonna rest, 
Rest in peace, oh, that cloud, we're in heaven, in the land, oh, a saint never die, oh, we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing, oh, and by, in lift your voices and repeat after me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Amen. I love that Psalm, Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, David has a talk with himself. David reminds himself that he needed to praise God. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself. Amen. How many of you will admit you talk to yourself? Amen. I do. I talk to myself. You know, they, they used to say, they used to say that uh, it's not good to talk to yourself. Say, if you talk to yourself, something is wrong. But, you know, I have Bible for talking to yourself. And uh, they said, well, you're all right if you talk to yourself, but just don't answer yourself. <laughs> but I got, I got Bible for answering myself. <laughs> Amen. You know, the prodigal son said that, what am I doing in this hog pen? He said, I got... I got a father who has bread enough to spare, and I'm out here hungry. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up from here, and I'm going home, and I'm going to tell myself what I'm going to say when I get home. So he, he told himself what he needed to do and gave himself the answer, and he got up and did it. Sometimes we have to talk sense into ourselves. We know better. Sometimes we just have to grab ourselves and say, you need to do better. Amen? And, and so it is with David. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. So oftentimes we are guilty of counting our burdens instead of our blessings. But God has been too good to us for us to major on what's wrong in our lives and minor on what's right in our lives. I promise you, if you start counting, there are many more things that are right in your life 
than there are that are wrong in your life. And the church said amen. You know, whenever you go away to do a revival, <clears throat> it is always a bittersweet moment when you come to the end of it because you have grown to love the people that you spend a few days with. And so certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, I have grown to know your preacher better and to love him better and his family. And I'm appreciative of Kevin. And, and uh, I, I just want you to know that I believe with all of my heart that you have a wonderful man of God, a wonderful preacher. <clears throat> Amen. And for his family, love his wife, love his children, support him. And if you grow with him, the church will grow. Support him and build him up along with his wife and children. And they will serve you well as he ministers to this congregation. And of course, I appreciate all of you having gotten to know you better. It's been a joy and a delight. Your spirit is warm and loving and kind. We appreciate that so very much. For the kindness you've shown to my wife and to me, I'm appreciative of it. Thank you so very much. And we solicit your prayers. As we travel back to Austin, should the Lord say, say the same on tomorrow. And as I always say, if I don't see you on this side of heaven again, I will see you in heaven. Amen. Amen. And someone, someone may say, well, that's pretty presumptuous of you. Well, it's not presumptuous. I, it ain't but two places to go. <laughs> Amen. That, that's heaven or hell. I plan to go to heaven. I don't know where y'all plan to go. So I said, I'll see y'all in heaven. Amen. So that's what I'm planning to do. And I hope you are too. Uh, and, uh, you know, I want to say this because um, I had forgotten that you guys had a storm that had come through. And so I, uh, my habit is always to come to the church building the night before so I will know where it is so I don't have to be trying to guess how far it is and even if I have GPS I still want to physically lay eyes on it and so my wife and I drove over according to the address and when we got here I said Gail this this is the address but this is an abandoned building <laughs> I said they got tarp all on the top of here and the sign is blown out there's no Ain't nobody over here. And so I called Kevin. I said, Kevin, now what's the address? And he gave it to me. And I said, well, this is it, but it, it doesn't look like anybody is here. He said, well, we had a storm. I said, oh, that makes sense. Amen. I, I just encourage you to put the sign up. <laughs> put the sign up. <laughs> At least let them know we're still over here. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Uh, again, I am grateful that my wife is with me. She's a joy and a delight and the love of my life. Sweetheart, raise your hand again. I know you don't want to stand up. That's my sweet, lovely wife, and I thank God for her all the time. All right. We're going to try to end. I had a very difficult time trying to decide what sermon to preach, but I uh, 
God put this one on my heart, so this is what I'll do. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 81. Psalm 81. Go ahead and stand, please. I'm going to start reading at verse number 8 and conclude at verse number 16. If you have it, say amen. If you are still trying to find it, say wait on me. All right, that's quite a few. So, once you get it, say amen. amen. There we go. Psalm 81, 8 through 6, the Bible says, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up or brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me and Israel would walk in my ways. I will soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would have satisfied you. Verse 13 says specifically, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I want to talk tonight. Go ahead and be seated, please. That's the ending of it. If my people would only listen to me. I thought this would be a good one to end on because it is not just a meeting for those who are outside of the church, but also it is supposed to be about reviving those who are in the church. And so I think this one will serve both purposes. Psalm 81 is a psalm that calls for the people of God to celebrate the goodness of God. And it is also a call to the people of God to be obedient to God's word, which would result, God says, in God's continued blessings and benefits. It is a psalm of festive celebration in remembrance of the Lord's deliverance of his people from Egyptian bondage and his subsequent care for them following their deliverance as he led them to the promised land. The occasion, based on the internal evidence that appears in this particular psalm, appears to be the Feast of Tabernacles. It is the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. Look, if you will, at verse number three as I read it. The Bible says, 
in Psalm 81 and verse 3, blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon. And so he specifies when this was to occur. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was the third of the three obligatory annual Jewish festivals, the first being Passover, the second being Pentecost, and the third being Tabernacles. I want you to look, if you will, at Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verses 13 through 17. This tells us about the feast or the feast of the tabernacles. He says, you shall observe the feast of tabernacles seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your wine press and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. Go ahead, sir. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses. Why? Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you surely do what? Rejoice. And then he says three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the feast of unleavened bread that's the Passover feast at the feast of weeks that's Pentecost and at the feast of tabernacles and watch this and they shall not appear before the Lord empty handed now The Feast of Tabernacles was a time of great rejoicing, and it was also a time of great celebration. It was the celebration of God's bounty, of the bounty of the harvest that the Lord had blessed them with. Now watch this. In other words, he says, I have blessed you tremendously, and since I have blessed you, I want you to be thankful. I want you to rejoice. But not only do I want you to rejoice, but I don't want you to appear before me empty-handed. Now watch this. That tells me two things. That blessed folk ought to be rejoicing people and blessed people ought to be liberal with giving to the Lord. And somebody ought to say amen. How many of you in here tonight are blessed by God? Let me see your hands. See, I said something now. I said that if you've been blessed by God, then you ought to have a happy and joyful spirit whereby you rejoice in the fact that God has been good to you. And look at us, church. We are blessed people. We don't just have daily bread. We have weekly bread. We don't just have weekly bread. We have food stored up in freezers. We are dripping with the blessings of God. We have so many clothes that we don't even have a place to put them anymore. 
We have moved them out of the closet and put them into the garage. We have more than one car to park in the garage. We have rooms that we just pass by and look at the furniture. We have dishes that we don't eat out of. God has blessed us tremendously. We are dripping with the blessings of God. I have a sermon that I preach on where I talk about how fat and greasy we are. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the size of us, but the Bible says the liberal soul shall be fat. Amen. Uh, that means a horn of oil, a heel of oil. In other words, God says, I will bless you to be fat and greasy when you do right by me. And when I look out into the crowd, I see a lot of fat and greasy folk with the blessings of God. Are y'all listening to me? I'm just simply saying we are dripping with the blessings of God. And God says, when I have been good to you, you ought to show it in your attitude and you ought to show it by what you give back. And the church said, amen. And according to Leviticus chapter 23, I'm not going to read this one. Verses 33 and 34, the Feast of Tabernacles occurred in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar known as Tishra, corresponding to our September and October. Now look, if you will, at Leviticus chapter 23, verses 39 through 43 concerning this feast. Leviticus chapter 23. Verses 39 through 43. The Bible says the following. Go ahead and read it, Kevin. All right. They got it up now. Also, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest. On the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. Keep going, please. All right. Kevin, pick it up. You shall take for yourselves, you shall take for yourselves what? The fruit of beautiful trees. The trees. Branches of palm trees. The boughs of leafy trees. The trees Willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. For seven days. You shall keep it as a feast. To the Lord for seven days in the year, it shall be a statue forever in your generation. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Watch this now. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generation that may know, now watch this, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. Now watch this. The Feast of Tabernacles was also a time when God's people would leave their homes. And build booths, tents, out of palm branches and other types of trees and live in them for seven days. Now, how would you like to leave your plush, carpeted house, comfortable bed, and go out and live in the wilderness for seven days? 
God says, that's what I want you to do. And why do I want you to do that? He says, to commemorate the reality of how God took care of his people. In other words, of how I took care of you in a barren, harsh wilderness. God gave them bread from heaven and gave them water from a rock. He proved that he was Jehovah Jireh, that he was the Lord who would provide. And the Feast of Tabernacles reminded them of the provision of God. Even in the most difficult times of your life in a desert land where nothing would grow, God said you never went hungry one single day. And not only did you not go hungry, but you never went thirsty one single day. In essence, what God is trying to tell us is that I took care of you in the most destitute conditions that you found yourself in. I brought you through the harshness of the wilderness and you survived it, not because you did it, but because I did it. And church, listen, if God did it for them, he will do it for us. And I know all of us can say that there are some things that God has brought us through that were difficult times. Am I right about it? And in conjunction with the Feast of Tabernacles, God commanded his people to hear his word. In fact, when the Feast of Tabernacles fell, fell on the seventh year, which was the sabbatical year, the book of Deuteronomy was to be read to the people of God in its entirety as a reminder to them of God's law and what he expected of his people in every generation. Look, if you will, at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 through 13. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 through 13. When you get it, please read it, Kevin. All right, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 31 beginning at verse number 9 through verse number 13. The Bible says what? So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all of the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, all right? You shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together men and women and little ones and the stranger who is within your gates. Watch this now, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known this law may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land 
which you crossed the Jordan to possess. Church, listen to me. The only way we can secure this generation and the next generation from apostasy is to constantly teach and preach the word of God. Listen, your man of God has the responsibility to preach the word and not entertain you. And the church said, Amen. It's not his goal to get up here and make you shout hallelujah and jump all over the place. It is his responsibility to be faithful to the proclamation of the word of God in its purity and its, in, its simplicity. And make sure that the church is indoctrinated in the word so that the church can survive this generation and the next generation. The church is not going to survive on little sermonettes. Amen. The church is not going to survive on, on little homilies that are designed to give you a little bit and then let you go. The church has to be indoctrinated with the word of God so that you can be spiritually strong and rooted and grounded in the faith. Psalm 81, we, we are in a time right now, church, when the church is in the throes of a neo-apostasy, a new apostasy. We have brethren who are departing from the faith and our young people are leaving the church and gravitating towards some other stuff that's not the truth. And the only way that we're going to root and ground them in the truth is that they got to know it. And they're not going to get it just by showing up a little bit every now and then. The word of God must be proclaimed from the pulpit. The word of God must be taught in the Bible classes. And the parents must teach their children the word of God when you are at home. God's word must be taught. It is the word of God that roots and grounds us in the faith. Psalm 81 is centered around the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. And it is divided into two parts. Part 1, verses 1 through 5, is a summons to the people of God to come together and praise God with enthusiasm. And the second part of it, verses 6 through 16, focuses on hearing and obeying the word of God. Let's go to the psalm quickly now. Psalm 81, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 81. Watch what it says. The Bible says, Psalm 81, sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Now, the Bible says that I want you to come together. I want God's people to come together. And when God's people come together, he says, I want you to come together singing and playing the instrument. Now, one of the major differences in Old Testament worship and New Testament worship is the fact that in the Old Testament, the Bible is absolutely crystal clear that the playing of mechanical instruments of music was acceptable by God. 
But just as clear as the Bible is in the Old Testament that playing the mechanical instruments was accepted by God, just as clear as that was, it is equally as clear in the New Testament that singing is the only kind of singing or without mechanical instruments that's acceptable to God. Amen. Watch this now. You see, God made no doubt about it in the Old Testament that it's all right for you to worship me using mechanical instruments. But when you come into the New Testament, you don't find one single mechanical instrument nowhere in the New Testament. And if God was clear about it in the Old Testament, he's also clear about it in the New Testament. God says you can play in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, he says sing. Look at the Bible. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. All right? Are y'all with me? And do not be drunk with what? <laughs> Come on, say that with me, church. Look like y'all got mighty quiet on that. And do not be what? With wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now watch this now. I want you to notice how this works. He says, make sure you have the right spirit in you. Now make sure you don't have that spirit that comes out of a bottle. Amen. See, you need to be filled with capital S, God's Holy Spirit. Now watch this, because what he's trying to show us is that when you are under the influence of wine, everyone can tell that you're under the influence. Well, don't you know that when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, folk ought to be able to tell? And one of the ways they can tell when you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit is what comes out of your mouth in worship. Watch this now. Watch this now. See, you know when a person is drunk. You know when they are inebriated because they're stumbling and, and they're talking crazy and all out of their minds. Am I right about it? They'll say anything and do anything and you know they're under the influence of the alcohol. Well, God is saying, for my people, I don't want you under the influence of alcohol. I want you under the influence of my Holy Spirit. And when you are under the influence of my Spirit, you open your mouth and you sing and you praise my name. It is an oxymoron for a child of God to come to worship and don't open your mouth to sing. Say amen if you can. It irks my soul when I see blessed children of God who are supposed to be full of God's Holy Spirit sitting up in church with their jaws tight and their arms folded. As if God hasn't done anything for you and you have nothing to sing about. I'm saying that when God has his spirit in you and you are under his influence, you start speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. It is the natural outflow 
of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. When the song starts, you got to sing because God has been too good to you not to do it. Amen. Watch this now. He says singing, not playing, plucking, beating, and bonging, and making melody where? Not on the harp, not on the piano, not on the guitar, not on the organ, not on the drum. This comes from the human heart. He says from the emotions, from, from that part of you that houses your will, your intellect, and your emotions. He says singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now, some of the scholars try to say, well, when you start talking about that word singing and making melody, they try to bring in the Greek word silo, which means to pluck, to twitch, and to twain. And they say that is evidence that you can have mechanical instruments. Well, if that is the case, in order for us to fulfill this commandment, then everyone must possess in his possession, must have in his possession a mechanical instrument in order to fulfill the commandment. You can't have a band. Everybody in here got to have it. God has given you the instrument that he wants to be praised with. And it's the human vocal cords. You're not plucking and twitching and twanging. In fact, most scholars that are credible and notable will say in the New Testament it had reference to the plucking of the cords, of the vocal cords, and it doesn't have reference to a mechanical instrument. When folks are trying to force something, they'll do anything to force it. But what God's Word says is crystal clear. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16. Now watch this now. He says being filled with the Spirit. Now watch this. This is the companion text. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now watch this now. New Testament singing has an element to it that involves teaching and admonishing. See, a trumpet, a guitar, and a piano can't teach you anything. Can't teach you anything. Say, well, Brother William, they sure make me feel good, though. Man, when that music starts, my feet start moving. That's fine for your feet, but it doesn't do anything for your soul. Are y'all listening to me? Listen, he says New Testament singing involves teaching. New Testament singing involves admonishing. New Testament singing is involves spiritual songs. This is about your spirit, not the blues. Not rock and roll. Not hip-hop. This is about the soul. Amen? Now watch this. I like the fact that he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, and be filled with the Spirit. So here is the correlation. See, when we got baptized, according to Acts 2.38, Acts 5.32, when we got baptized, we received God's Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is not something that drains out of us and then we have to go to the Holy Spirit filling station and get filled with him again. So what does Paul mean then when he says be filled with the Spirit? It is simply saying that in order for me to allow the Holy Spirit to have full reign in my life, then I need to give him what he uses. And the sword of the Spirit is what? Come on, church. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So when I fill my heart with the word of God, I am giving the Holy Spirit what he needs to operate fully in my life. So you want to know why people don't have a spirit of rejoicing and they don't have a spirit of worship and praise given to God? That is indicative of the fact that perhaps they haven't been in the word. Because when you get full of the word, the Holy Spirit has much to work with. And as, as he has more to work with, the more he will work in your heart and bring forth praise. Are y'all with me? You can look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. The Bible tells us that we are to offer him the sacrifice of the fruit of our lips. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 15. We will sing with the understanding and we will sing with the Spirit. There's not a single mention of one mechanical instrument in the New Testament. You say, but I like it. Well, a lot of things I like. But I don't bring them into worship. Amen. I like gravy and rice, but I don't put it on the Lord's table. Am I right about it? Collard greens and cornbread. I like it, but I can't serve it for the Lord's Supper. So it's not about what you like. It's about what God approves of. And if we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, we have to follow what is written in the word of God. Go back over to Psalm 81 and look at verse 3. He says... Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon. The blowing of the shofar, the ram's horn, was a call to begin the festival. Look at verse number four. He says, for this is a statue for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. Now watch this, church. This was a statue for Israel, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a statue for Israel. God commanded it. Watch this now. God commanded a time of celebration. Watch. God commanded a time of celebration. God commanded a time of praise giving. God commanded a time of thanksgiving for Israel's good. Now watch, he says, now watch, he says, watch. At the full moon, he says, for this is a statue for Israel. A law of the God of Jacob. Who is it for? Israel. Now watch this. God said, I want you to come together. I want you to sing praises to my name. I want you to give thanks for, to my name. I want you to have praise given to my name. But it is for your good. Church, listen to me. We need to understand that worship is for our good. 
God is God with or without us. Listen to me. He was God before he made us. And he was God after he made us. And our worship of God doesn't make him more God. Y'all need to hear this. See, some of us think we're doing God a favor by showing up to worship him. We're not doing God a favor. Our worship of God does not make God more God, does not make God more holy, does not make God more righteous, does not make God more powerful, does not make God more exalted. He is already all of that with me or without me. If I worship him, he is the great I am that I am. And if I don't worship him, he is still the great I am that I am. If you worship him, he is still the great I am that I am. If you don't worship him, he is still the great I am that I am. Elihu told Job, listen, Job, you don't add anything to God and you don't take anything away from God. God is God with you or without you. Look at Job 35. Look at Job 35. Some of us need to understand that because somehow or another, we have forgotten and we think that somehow or another we're adding to God by showing up. We're not. God designed worship. Yes, he desires it and deserves it. But worship is for our good. So let's listen to Job 35, verse 1. He said, Moreover, Elihu answered and said, Do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say... What advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? You know, Job is all caught up in, in his trial and tribulation. And Job said, well, you know, it, it wouldn't make, make any difference if I sin. You know, I'm going to still be in the same condition that I'm in now. I've been living righteous and look at me. So I might as well have lived that kind of life, a sinful life, and I would have been all right. Or I'm going to still suffer the same thing. So what does it matter? And so Elihu said, let me, let me tell you something. In verse number four, I will answer you and your companions with you. Look to the heavens and see, and behold the clouds. They are higher than you are. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Y'all didn't see that. If you sin, what have you done that's going to change God? Or if you, your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you and your righteousness a son of man. In in essence, what he's saying is your wickedness nor your righteousness does not change God one iota. Say amen if you can. See, God is going to be God whether you live right or whether you live wrong. Whether you worship him or don't worship him, God is still going to be God. And he's still going to be in the same place. And he's still going to be in charge. Watch this. God deserves our worship, church. God desires our worship. But, watch this now. He is still God with or without our worship. Worship 
Why worship then? Worship reminds us of who God is. And worship reminds us of who we are. Worship reminds us of what God has done for us. And worship reminds us of what God will do for us and what God expects from us and the blessings that we have received from God. So when we come to worship, we are the ones who benefit from worship. We are reminded that God is God. We are reminded that God is good. And we are reminded that God has the power to save me or condemn me. And so we come to worship to be blessed. Not to make God more God. Amen. Look at verses 5a, verse 5a and b. He says, Psalm 81, verse 5, this he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt. He says, where I heard a language I did not understand. Now, God gave them the Feast of Tabernacles like all of the feasts as a witness to the reality, watch this now, of the historicity of the event that it was a reminder of. Watch this. So God says, I want you to do this because it connects you to the history of the event to let you know, watch this, that this actually did happen. In the history of my people. Look at verse 5 again. And look at the latter part of it. He says. Where I heard a language I did not understand. God's people. Watch this now. Heard the language of God. They had to learn a new language. They only knew the language of Egypt. Watch this now. And the language of captivity and the language of slavery. But God will teach them a new language. And the language that God is going to teach his people is that his people are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a free people, the people of God and not a captive people. In other words, once God delivered them from Egypt physically, he then had to deliver them from Egypt spiritually and psychologically because they were not just in physical bondage, they were in spiritual bondage and they were in psychological bondage. And now God says, I've gotten you out of Egypt, now I've got to get Egypt out of you. I've got to teach you how to talk. got to teach you how to walk. I've got to teach you a new language. Now what's the application to us, church? Watch this now. Remember, I'm tying all of this to worship. And that's part of what we do when we come together every first day of the week. It's all about God trying to teach us a new language. Listen to me. What language is that? God is trying to teach us a new language and to have a new mentality and a new way of living. God says, I want to teach you how to talk right. I want to teach you how to walk right. I want to teach you how to let go of the world. That's what worship is about. It's about helping us to get closer to God so we'll learn the language of God instead of the language of the world. Say amen if you can. But watch this. The problem with too many of us, you need to hear it, is that we are not looking for newness 
we're just looking for a brief paint over. Help, help me, let, let, let me help you to understand what I just said. Too many of us have what I call spray paint religion. We don't have time for God to strip off all of that old paint and grind us down to the raw metal, prime us and paint us anew. That's too time consuming. I got to be in prayer. I got to be in worship. I got to be in the Bible. I've got to truly change. I don't want to truly change. What I want is a little spray over. Watch this. We just want a little spray paint religion on top of our mess so we can get in and get out. And as soon as we find ourselves in the heat of trouble and the sunlight of trouble beams down on our lives and it begins to rain on our lives, that mess underneath that little spray over religion washes off and it exposes all of the dents in our lives and all of the issues that we never dealt with and that we did not allow God to heal in our lives. And now all of a sudden we see that that little spray paint religion that we were content with does not sustain us in difficult times. Are y'all with me, church? Spray paint religion washes away. And that's why some of our faith is anemic. Our homes are all messed up. Our marriages are messy. Our lives are powerless. Our dreams are dead. And our peace has perished. When God grinds you down to the metal, he changes your attitude. He changes your walk. He changes your language. He said, now you don't talk about, I cannot do this. Now you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't make my marriage work. How does a child of God say that? You have God in your life. You have a new language. You can. But God has to be real in your life. I can't forgive that sister. I can't forgive that brother. How can you say that if God is real? God changes your language. Changes your attitude. And he puts a new speech in your mouth. Listen. What happens to us? This place tonight ought to be full of people. Not because I'm preaching, but because the word of God is being preached. God says, every Lord's Day, every time the church comes together, I'm trying to teach you to be new. Now, let me bring this to a close. The second part of Psalm 81, verses 6 through 16, is a call to God's people to listen to and to be obedient to his word. Watch what he says in verse 6. He says, I removed his shoulder from the burden. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. This is a picture of how it was with Israel before God delivered them from Egyptian bondage. Stay with me. God said that as slaves, Israel was carrying baskets full of dirt and bricks on their shoulders. 
And he says, I delivered your shoulders from the load and the baskets from your hands. God says, when you reflect back on from whence you have come, you ought to have some celebration in your heart for me. In other words, he says, church, listen to me. What you need to do every now and then is travel back down the lane of history and look at where you once were and what God delivered you from and where God has brought you from to where God has brought you to. And the church ought to say amen. Some of you had some heavy burdens. Your shoulders were tired and weary. Not your literal shoulders, but your heart. You were burdened down and weighed down in heart and in mind. Your hands had become weary of the task that life had laid at your footsteps. And God brought deliverance to you. Some of y'all ought to be able to testify that God brought you from somewhere to here. Am I right about it? God delivered you from chemical enslavement. God delivered you from sexual enslavement. God delivered you from having a heart full of hate. Gave you the spirit to be able to forgive those who had abused you when you were young. Abused you verbally and sometimes even physically. And God empowered you to get beyond it. We ought to thank God for what he's done. Thank God for where he brought us from to where he brought us to. If the Lord has taken some heavy burdens off of your shoulders, if the Lord has lightened your load in life, then you ought to have some celebration of praise for him. Look at verse 7. He says, you called in trouble and I delivered you. Lord, have mercy. He says, you called to me when you were in distress. And I answered you and delivered you. Have I witnessed in the house? Can anyone testify to that reality? Amen. I see hands going up. I thank God for that. I know where my hand can go up. I know that God has delivered me from some stuff. God has done some things for all of us. And I believe that all of us ought to have what I call a delivery diary. We ought to have a deliverance diary where we ought to write down in our own hearts if we don't write it down on paper what God delivered us from. And we ought to go back and look at it every now and then and say, thank you, God. Amen. Look at 7B. He says, you called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. God says, I took you to Mount Sinai and I spoke to you from a thick cloud. Look at verse number 7, verse C. I'm not going to look at all of this, but I want to look at Exodus chapter 7 right quick. Exodus 17, rather. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. He says, then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirst. 
there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our, little, and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah or Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now watch this. God said, you complained, you grumbled and you Right, and I gave you water. Now, I want to ask you a question. Has God blessed you in spite of you? Amen. Amen. Am I right about it? See, they grumbled and griped and complained and talked about God. You brought us out here to kill us. And God said, Moses, go strike the rock. And in spite of the folks complaining and grumbling and griping and talking about, in essence, we should have stayed in Egypt, God said, I'm still going to give you water. I thank God that he blesses us even when we don't deserve it. I thank God that he doesn't say, wait until you get it all right, and then I'll give you my blessings. If he did that, none of us would be blessed. Amen. Look at verses 8 through 10, back over to Psalm 81. I'm almost where I need to be. And then he says, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God admonishes his people to listen to him, to heed his warning. God said, don't serve other gods. Don't even have them among you because they have done nothing for you and they can do nothing for you. Listen. God says, I am the one who has done everything for you. I delivered you from Egypt. I opened the Red Sea and let you walk across on dry land. I drowned the Egyptian army and washed their bodies upon the shores so that you wouldn't have to fear them anymore. I fed you with bread from heaven in the wilderness. I gave you water from the rock. I put shade over you in the daytime and I gave you light to walk by in the nighttime. I gave you victory over your enemies. I kept your feet from swelling and your clothes from wearing out in the wilderness. I opened the Jordan River and allowed you to walk across on dry ground into the promised land I brought down the walls of Jericho. I drove the nations out and gave you a fruitful and fertile land. I did all of that and more. And now you replaced me with some idol God who has done nothing for you and can do nothing for you. My question to you tonight is this. Have you allowed some foreign God to take the place of God in your life? 
He said, no, Brother Williams. Well, listen, if God is first in your life, better yet, has God really ever been first in your life? If God truly were the Lord of your life, then he would be more to you than just a convenience. Watch this now. If God truly is the Lord of your life, or is he just, is God truly the Lord of your life, or is he just some insurance policy for afterlife? Is God truly the Lord of your life, or is he just some roadside assistant that you call on when you stall out, stall out on the highway of life and you need a boost to get a little further up the road? See, God says, listen, when you needed me, you called on me. Then when you got in the land after I did everything for you, then you replaced me with some other gods that really aren't gods. In other words, you used me and pushed me aside. Is God first in your life? Or is he just another item on your list of things that you need to check off? On the first day of the week, I need to go to worship. Let me check that off. But after that, I'm through with him. God said, if you would only listen to me, then I will fill your mouth. In other words, I will give you more than enough. I will richly bless your life by obeying my word. God's word, when obeyed, will lead to the blessings of God in your life. Let me close. Look at verse 11. But my people would not heed my voice. And Israel would have none of me. I want to tell you something, church. To me, this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Kevin, I cannot hardly read that verse without breaking down and crying. Every time I go in my private study and I read it, even in studying this lesson again, it brought tears to my eyes. In the Hebrew, it literally says, Israel did not want me. Church, these words broke my heart. Listen, God says, after I have done everything for you, after I demonstrated to you my love, after I have given you everything that you have, after I delivered you from Egypt and I brought you through the wilderness, I placed you in the promised land, I blessed you with houses that you did not build, with vineyards that you did not plant, I did all of that, and you rejected me. You tossed me aside as if I am nobody. Does that hurt? Does that hurt when you give your life and you do everything for a person and they just toss you aside like you don't matter? He says, you replace me, the living God, for some lifeless stick of wood carved by man's hand or some lifeless stone carved by man's hand that cannot see, that cannot walk, that cannot talk, that cannot hear, that cannot help you in the time of need. You push me aside to one who gives you everything something who gave you nothing 
Let me give you this invitation now. Watch what God says. And this is what I love about God, Kevin. He says, in verse number 11, and I'm going to go back, verse 12, so I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. Here's what God said in a nutshell. After you treated me like I was nothing and nobody. After all you've done to me. Here's what I love about God. God says, if you will only listen to me and turn around. I'll receive you back and I will bless you more. Ain't that a good God? See, listen, let me put it in this, let me put it in this way, in this vernacular. You turn your back on God and you run the streets of Fort Lauderdale, Pembroke, Florida. All right. You run the streets. You do everything you want to do. You live like you don't know God. You despise him. And God says to you, in spite of how you treated me, if you'll just hear my word, I'll take you back. I'll forgive you. I'll restore you. And I will bless you just like I blessed you before. See, this is what God has. God has the ability to forgive and forget. He'll never bring your stuff up ever again. Ain't that a good God? See, some folk are not like that, Kevin. See, when you do something wrong, they never let you forget it. They hold it forever against you. But God is not like that. All of us have messed up in life. But God says, if you'll just turn around and come back to me, I will wash the record clean, and it'll never come up before you ever again. And if anyone ever brings it up to you again, you tell them that I've been covered by the blood and I'm forgiven by God. Amen. You know what I tell folk when they want to bring up what I did in the past? I tell them, I tell you what you do. I'm going to give you a piece of paper and you write it down. Everything that you know about me, everything that you want to say about me, write it down. And then I want them to give it back to him and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to read it and I'm going to start praising God and say, look what God has forgiven me of. And by the way, let me tell you something. You forgot some stuff. I did some other stuff you didn't even know about. That's the God we serve, church. What an awesome God he is. He said, if you just come back, I'll wipe the slate clean. I'll forgive you. I'll restore you. And I'll bless you. Anyone want to come to God tonight? If you do, if you believe Jesus came, suffered, bled, and died for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again, if you're willing to repent of your sins, stand tonight and confess the name of Jesus. And we will baptize you in water for the remission of your sins. And the Lord in heaven will add you to the church of Christ. You don't have to join anybody's church. If you join one, it's the wrong one. But if you just obey God, he'll add you to his blood-brought, spirit-filled, glory-bound family.
the church of Christ. Why don't you come as we together stand and sing.